perspective. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing has come into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never overcome it. And the word was made flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the Christmas story from John's gospel. Let us now sing the story with the song, The First Noel. Hear the good news according to Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver the child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the guest room. Now, in that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. This is the word of the Lord. This evening I invite us to fix our gaze on the manger. Actually, Luke, the writer of this story, he's the first one to direct our attention there. He mentions the manger three times in this brief description of the events of that first Christmas night. Verse 7, 12, and 16. So I invite us also to focus our eyes and our minds and our hearts on three aspects of the manger. First, what are the reasons for being at the manger? Second, what is a manger? And third, what does the manger mean? First, what reasons do folks have for being at the manger? As you listen to the story once more tonight, perhaps you noticed how everyone 
is in motion. People are busy going from one place to another. It's not unlike the hustle and bustle of our own holiday season. Has anyone felt like they've been in perpetual motion over the past few days? Nope, no one? All right, just me and Steph. (laughs) Folks back then were also on the go, of course, for different reasons. Luke's account begins in a rather surprising and boring way. Did you catch that? It begins with the world's largest superpower of the day, the Roman Empire, and the emperor has just issued an executive order demanding that everyone under the thumb of the empire get moving and get registered. The Christmas story begins with a government edict to get registered. This includes Joseph and his very pregnant fiance. Everyone, you see, was required to return to their town of origin to get their name in the system. This would allow the empire to keep track of its subjects. No one had social security numbers at the time. So this registration would go a long way in establishing a more efficient collection of taxes. That's the main reason for the registration. It's about money. The emperor wants more for himself and for his empire. Oddly enough, that's how Luke's Christmas story begins. And that's the reason Joseph and Mary find their way eventually at the manger. (laughs) They're headed for Bethlehem because they were told to go. Have you ever thought about this? It's not that they chose to go. It's not that Joseph was interested in his genealogy all of a sudden. If it were up to Joseph and Mary, they would have gladly stayed home in Nazareth, surrounded by family and friends. If it were up to the parents, they would have far preferred to await the birth of the promised one and the comforts of their own home. Instead, they traveled 92 miles south. That's 18 miles a day for five days. Probably it wasn't like the winter wonderland we drove over here in, but maybe, who knows. But the point, the point is this. The reason Mary and Joseph find themselves at the manger, it's not because they chose to go, but because they felt like they had to go. This wasn't in their birth plan. It was obligation and duty that brought them to the manger. Isn't that the same reason some of us across the country, maybe here, isn't that the same reason we find ourselves around a manger this evening? Perhaps you're here because of this sense of family obligation or duty. Perhaps it's your ticket to a peaceful Christmas dinner. Like Mary and Joseph, this past week has been a swirl of activity and a flurry of emotion. And some of you, you've traveled long and far to arrive here. And for some, you have come home. But like Joseph, when he travels home to Bethlehem, it's not really home. I mean, technically it is. It's where he's from. But it doesn't really feel like home anymore. He doesn't really fit in like he used to. But he does his duty to keep everyone happy, and the result is that it lands him in a stable with a manger. So here we are, whatever reason we're here, and we're in a church with a manger, and we're glad you're here. 
But there are also other reasons for being at the manger. Take the shepherds, for example. The shepherds, you remember the story? The shepherds gladly travel to the manger because they've been what? They've been invited. And the invitation is too attractive to pass up. At first, they were terrified at the invitation. Their eyes were not accustomed to such beauty and glory. When the dazzling brilliance of the Lord wraps around them, they could not adjust their thinking to the reality before them. So they reacted like any of us would react when the world around us appears unfamiliar yet powerful. They trembled with fear. Perhaps you too have been invited here to consider the mystery of the manger. I can't imagine the invitation was as compelling as the one the shepherds received, but nevertheless you came. And like the shepherds, you're expectant, you're hopeful, maybe a little afraid of the unknown. But truth be told, like the shepherds, you don't know what to make of it all. You're longing for something, but you don't know what. Perhaps you're longing for love, for home, but you don't know what that means. And now here you are, here we are, and the manger is in clear sight. Here's what I believe. I believe what that angel said to the shepherds on that first Christmas night is exactly what God would say to each one of us on this eve of Christmas, no matter what our reasons are for being here. God says, don't be afraid. Look, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Friends, we are invited to trade our great fears for great joy on this eve of Christmas. This is not an easy thing. It wasn't easy for the shepherds either, and it won't be easy for us. But the invitation is out there. We are invited to take our fears and to gaze into the eyes of the Christ child in the manger. Could it be that here in the manger, fear is cast out? Could it be that here in the manger, joy is birthed? Could it be that here in the manger, love is born? Well, how would we ever know if we didn't take a peek for ourselves? So come, share in the wonder, and consider with me what the manger really is. That's the second question for this evening. We must get a clearer picture of what the manger really is. What images come to mind when you think of the word manger? Honestly, my images are, were not very accurate before I learned a few things. A woman by the name of Patty Kirk has helped me get a more realistic picture of the manger. Patty is an English professor at a university. She's the author of many books, including one called The Gospel of Christmas. What's interesting about Patty, though, is that she wrote this book shortly after several years of being an atheist. She describes how, during her years of atheism, she hung out with people like herself around the holiday season— And they'd have Christmas parties, and they'd sing Christmas carols. 
Most of, the, most of them even knew the words of the story. Of course, none of them believed what the Christians said they meant, but there was still something fun in the festivity. And then, one Christmas, for some reason, it clicked for Kathy. What clicked for her was what the word manger actually meant. A manger is a trough, a feeding trough. It's what cattles eat from. As an English professor obsessed with words, Patty discovered that the word manger comes from the old French manjou, which means to chew. How'd I do, Tommy, with my French? Good? All right. It means to chew. A manger is a feeding receptacle over which the cattle chewed their food. They are dirty, probably littered with rat's poop and all kinds of other horrible stuff. And that is where the newborn child is placed, into this grotesque place. Jesus is born, and he's placed in a manger. Would any of you place your baby in a manger? (laughs) I think Patty's right when she says that we tend to think of the manger as this cute little Jesus bassinet, but it really isn't. It's a feeding trough. Jesus' baby body, his helpless baby body, is placed into this disgusting receptacle. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. So what is this all mean. If it's true that the newborn Jesus was placed not in a cute, cozy bassinet, but a dirty, dank manger, what does it mean? I think the hymn gets it right. Love, love, love is the gift of Christmas. Friends, the manger means that the true gift of Christmas the gift we all long for so deeply but barely have words to describe. The real gift is the deep and wide love of God for all people. Friends, the Christian claim is not that some hyped-up boy born under desperate circumstances somehow gained a religious following against all odds. Rather, the Christian claim is that the boy born in the manger is none other than God, a gift of love for all people. God, now asleep in the hay. If that's true, then what the manger means is this. God the Son, the Word made flesh, lowers himself so much that he was not just born as a human and not just born poor, He was not just kicked out of the guest room and not just born in a barn. What's more, God lowered God's self so much that he was born in this filthy feeding trough. This is God's choice, my friends, for his first night of lodging on earth. What a strange crib for a king. So why, you ask, would God do such a ridiculous thing? 
Because God is willing to do whatever it takes to demonstrate his profound love for all people. Like a loving father who doesn't care how silly he is, how silly he looks when he makes his child laugh. Like a fierce mother willing to do whatever to protect her child. God does whatever it takes to demonstrate God's personal love to doubters and skeptics like you and I. For poor and rich alike, religious and irreligious, liberal and conservative, for all of us, God enters the stage of human history in a manger. I suppose if we understood this mystery in its fullness, we'd all be trembling with terror. But the angel reassures us, don't be afraid. Look, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people, not just for some of the people, not just to the top 7%, which is the amount of folks that would have benefited from the Pax Romana, Remember the Roman Empire from the beginning of the story? There was a so-called peace of Rome that the emperor ushered in. And because of that peace, people called the emperor the savior of the world. But the truth is, this only saved the top 7%. That's who benefited from the peace of Rome. But the king in the crib, he is the savior of all the people This is good news of great joy, truly for all the people. It's a scandalously inclusive gospel. For God intends to gather together all people around the Christ child. And God says to you, whoever you happen to be, to you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Messiah and Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. I'd like to close by sharing with you a poetic reflection from one of my friends. Josh Banner was my worship pastor, and he offers this reflection on the Christmas story. I hope this might help us further ponder the mystery of God's love for all people found in the manger. I believe this is the true gift of Christmas. Ponder with me these words, would you? Unto us a child is born, unto all of us, unto the widow, unto the homeless, the addict, the AIDS patient, unto us the football captain and the drag queen, unto us the politician, the factory blue collar, Unto us, the single mother, the miscarried and stillborn babies, and unto us, the affluent suburbanite. Unto us, the goth, the hippie, the rocker, the alternative and underground. Unto us in Hollywood and on Madison Avenue, and unto all of us in between. Unto us in the gutters of Calcutta, unto the Muslim and the Jew, the Buddhist, the Krishna, and the Hindu, unto us, the fatherless, unto the heavenly fatherless, 
For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and a secret revolution begun. This is what the prophets had been preparing for. They said his name would be most beautiful wisdom, the highest of heaven's secrets. His name would be the God who continually bends over backwards for you, the God who gets down on his hands and knees, the God who would become silly and misunderstood, the God who would be mocked, the God whose name would be taken in vain. He would be called the God of underdogs, the God of the powerless and unspiritual, the God of those who cannot pray or fast. And there would be no end to him and his underdog weaklings or their secret. There would be no end, even while the nations continue to rage on, even as ethnos rises against ethnos, even as valleys are filled with dead bones and rivers run with blood, even as violence runs through our streets and schools and hearts, covering us like a thick fog. Even in this dark land of weak people, the God who bends over backwards will shine forth like a great light as the dawning of a new day, letting his secret spread forth with healing and joy. So drop the mirror and let it shatter. Crush the hourglass and stop the clock's ticking. Stand still. Hold your breath. Anticipate. Imagine your wildest dreams. Sell everything and buy the farm. Come with me. Cover your eyes and hold out your hands. Stop your weeping. Stop your groans. The fast is over. Let the celebration begin. The Father has come. He has sent his Son. Unto us he has been born. Even unto us. Let us pray. Marvelous God, thank you for the mystery of the nativity. God asleep in the hay. Thank you for the gift we really need this Christmas, the gift of divine love revealed to us in Jesus Christ. May that love be among us this evening and all days. And by the grace and power of your most gentle spirit, let Jesus find a cradle in our hearts, a resting place in the souls of all of us today and always. For unto us is born a Savior, a Rescuer, a Deliverer, and his name shall be called Jesus. Amen. This is what will prove it to you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Eternal God, we bow before the mystery of your incarnation. You have chosen weakness to confound the strong and poverty to send the rich empty away. We remember the millions in our world today who are hungry, who receive no hospitality, all with whom your son has become one by being born in a manger. The angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph and said, Herod will be looking for the child in order to kill him. 
So get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and left during the night. Merciful God, we call upon you for all who have fled their homes in the darkness of night. We remember the millions in our world who have been made refugees, who have sought asylum in lands not their own, those who are displaced, homeless, landless, or lost all whose experience you have made your own in the life of your son. Herod gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its neighborhood who were two years old and younger. In this way, what the prophet Jeremiah had said came true. A sound is heard in Ramah, the sound of bitter weeping. Rachel is crying for her children. She refuses to be comforted, for they are dead. Loving God, our hearts are heavy with the sufferings of this world. We remember the many victims of political power and greed, the innocent killed in war and violence, all those who are tortured or put to death, those who languish in prison and camps, those missing or taken hostage, all whose lot your son shared by being born when Herod was king. And Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me just as you've said. Gracious God, you placed yourself in the care of Mary to show to the world your will to save. Give us grace to follow her example, to become instruments of your grace, servants of your will, and channels of your love. May it happen to us as you have willed. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. O God of peace, you fill our hearts with hope at every Christmas tide, for we remember again that this is the world that you have loved. So may hope, peace, and joy fill our hearts this night at the news of your coming. Amen. Amen. Heard this ancient blessing from God to each one of us. The Lord bless you and keep you this Christmas season. The Lord make his face shine on you like a light shining in the darkness. And the Lord turn toward you and give you that deep inner peace. Amen. 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 For the silent night, we will light the candles from the Christ candle, which is symbolic of the light that shines in the darkness being lit up in our world and in our in our communities and in our families. We will have we will come down both sides of the rows, pass it on each side, and then others from that side. So whichever side they come from, um, be sure to tip the unlit candle in the lit candle, and it'll make everyone's lives a little a little better.